0: Good evening. Welcome back to our second week in the Word. We're glad you've joined us. We realize that there are some who are still traveling, perhaps, coming back from, a hopefully, an enjoyable and a blessed long weekend. But we're so happy that you have come to spend these moments here with our Master, Jesus Christ. Before we pray, I just want to quickly remind you that on Sabbath, in case you were not here, our message was about Jesus Christ the fact that we are sinners we cannot change ourselves it is only because of him that we can be forgiven and there was one short phrase that I forgot to share with you and I'm going to share it with you right now it's a short phrase that I want you to memorize let Christ in and he'll cleanse you from sin you want to say that with me? Let Christ in, and he'll cleanse you from sin. Again, let Christ in, and he'll cleanse you from sin. Shall we pray? Holy Father, thank you for the fact that Jesus was willing to die for every one of us. We know we have a choice, Father, to let Christ in so he'll cleanse us from sin. Bless us now as we open your holy word to catch a fresh glimpse of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. I was born in South Africa, as many of you know. Now, when I was born in South Africa back then, in those days when I was living there, you know what it was called? South Africa, my country, was called the skunk of nations. Oh yes, I'll be honest, I'll tell you what it was. Why? Why was South Africa called the skunk of nations? Ah, because of its political philosophy. I was raised in what is called apartheid South Africa. That's the proper way to pronounce the word, although in the United States most people say apartheid, thinking it's uh, German. It's not German, it's Afrikaans. But it's an, if you hear it properly, apartheid. Hmm, Interesting. It sounds like hatred in being apart. And so the government had the policy of separate, they called it, but equal. And I was raised in that very difficult situation. Now some people say, what are you? I've been mistaken for all kinds of things, folks. I'm going to tell you, when I had a beard, the Israelis thought I was a Palestinian terrorist. (laughs) Because I can pass for one. And I'm not joking. In fact, when the plane landed in Tel Aviv, the Secret Service let everybody go except me. Yeah, they took me off the plane and they checked me out and they asked for my passports. I had two and they kept me and they let everybody else go and they wouldn't tell me why they were checking me out. But I knew why. I looked like a the typical profile of a Palestinian terrorist. Yes, I really did. When I saw my own picture, I realized it. I don't wear a beard anymore. I don't when I go through. But people have mistaken me for that. I've been mistaken to be Jewish, Arabic, Egyptian, Filipino, Greek, Italian. I'm not exaggerating. Indian, Puerto Rican, oh, you name it. It's like, Mexican? It's almost like whatever country I'm in, people think I'm what I'm not. I'm so glad I'm a child of the king. It's one thing I do know, (laughs) right? But so I was raised in South Africa, and we are called the mixed up, not mixed up, the mixed people, you know. we got mixed heritage, British, Danish. This is my own. British, Danish, Dutch, French, Malaysian, or Indonesian, Portuguese, uh, Brazilian. Uh, All kinds of things in my background. Indian as well. Uh, my uncle wrote, his, wrote a book about our forebears, went back to the 1680s when the French originally came from uh, France, fleeing from Louis XIV. Anyway, that's another part of the story. So I was there in South Africa, raised in this very difficult climate where we were oppressed. Yes, and I mean oppressed. I was beaten up once by the police, um, fleeing for my life. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, not intentionally, but those are the things that we struggled with when I was... In South Africa, and I'll tell you, I came to the United States to study. And uh, while I was in the USA, of course, I went to Korea. You know that part of the story. I shared that in my first message. And then I met my wife, who was also a student missionary from Texas. And uh, the rest of the story: we came back to the states. And while I was in the United States, I kept hearing news from back home. I'd go back every now and then to visit. And it was in mid 1994 when eventually, freedom came to South Africa. A new country, democracy. And incidentally, I was when I was in South Africa, things were not always... We had to be willing to be pioneers, and, and I was fortunately, in a small way, a pioneer, or as some people might call it, a guinea pig. Depends on how you look at life, right? Okay. But life was not always easy. When democracy came, I was in South Africa. It was what an exciting time. Jubilation, celebrations in the street. I was going to go to the inauguration of Nelson Mandela, but I'll be honest, I was so afraid that they were going to attack. There were threats, bomb threats. I stayed home and even though I was in South Africa at this in- incredible moment in the history of my own nation, I stayed home and watched the celebrations on television because of fear. That's how dangerous it was. And there was a, a a terrorist plot that was foiled. People were going to actually target the inauguration and uh, they, were managed, they managed to stop that. But what an exciting moment in the history of my country, South Africa. People were just in the streets and just happy. The birth of a new nation, especially democracy, brings joy to people, especially the people who've been oppressed, right? Right? Of course, the birth of a baby also brings joy to its parents. The mother forgets all those labor pains she's been going through. okay? And there's that joy for the new birth. New birth is an exciting time. Very, very exciting. However, what happens if the baby, once the baby is born, or the nation that has just begun remains the same way? A week goes by, two weeks, the baby doesn't grow. The nation remains stagnant. What happens? Congratulations turn into commiserations. Gladness turns into sadness. And in a nation, cheers turn into jeers. There is the beginning, but there must be the growth as well. To review briefly, let's go to Matthew chapter 26 quickly. Just one text to remind you of the beginnings, the joy of this beginning, the start. What happens at the beginning? The joy of the beginning. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. I just want to review here Jesus speaking about when he will die for us, what will he do through his death. This is, of course, at the Lord's Supper, but the words are important here. Matthew 26, verse 28 says, For this is my blood of the new covenant... Which is, here's the key, shed for many for the remission of sins. In my Bible has a little footnote that says for the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus died, he died to, so that we can have forgiveness of sins. That's the key here. Forgiveness of sins comes through his death. What's the result? Go to Second Corinthians. We're going to spend quite a few moments in the writings of Paul that he wrote by inspiration what happens when jesus dies what happens to the world second corinthians chapter 5 verse 19 first as a global thing what happens and then we'll go to in an individual aspect second corinthians chapter 5 verse 19 what does it say that is that god was in christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Here it says God was in Christ reconciling the world, bringing the world back to Him. on, On Sabbath when we had our last message, we talked about the fact of atonement at one moment. Remember that? Sins are forgiven, and there's that reconciliation process. So this is just to remind you, the step one is that step of God's grace in our lives, bringing the world back, but not just the world. Go back to verse 14, please. It's, so that's the global thing. God wants to reconcile the world, but not just the world. Look at verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judged us, that now just in eight words, notice here, in my New King James Version, if one died for all, then all died. Wait a minute. What is Paul saying? Many of you know, by the way, Paul is known as that theologian. Even Peter, in the Bible, says Paul has said many things that are hard to understand. You know that passage, okay? And some people have twisted Paul's writings for their own doom. What is Paul saying? By the way, one Paraphrase has put those eight words. I'm going to read those eight words again. Notice. If one died for all, capital O-N-E, one died for all, then all died. One paraphrase puts it this way. This paraphrase has taken those eight words and has expanded it into 24 words. <laughs> Listen to it. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone we also believe that we have all died to the old life we used to live. Mmm, Now you see that? Okay, there it is. Let's go to Galatians 2, verse 20. Now that paraphrase is correct in the context of the writings of Paul and in the whole scripture. Let's, let's go a little deeper. Galatians 2.20. We haven't looked at that passage in our study thus far. The very next book, by the way, right after 2 Corinthians, just go over a few pages. Galatians 2.20. What does it mean? Now remember, Jesus died for the whole world to bring the world back. But what does it mean in your life? What does it mean in my life? Let's be specific. Jesus died for my sins. Right? Kind of a step number one. Now notice, Paul says, I have been what? Crucified. Wait a minute, I thought Jesus was crucified. Yes, he died for the whole world, but what does it mean in my life? I have been crucified with Christ. He carries on. It is no longer I who live. Okay, now notice the eyes, by the way. If you think, stop there for a moment, you'll remember another person who said, I, 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 four eyes, in the book of Isaiah chapter 14. Remember, I will be like the most I, I will ascend unto heaven. Who is that one? Satan, Satan Lucifer, that's right, okay? Now here again is the eye, but it's a different context. Very different. He says, I have been crucified. Not I want to be in God's place. No, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So yes, folks, step number one, Jesus died to reconcile the world to him. Correct? That's the world, remember? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, son, right? The whole world. But the Bible continues that whosoever believeth in him. Notice the point? God, uh, Jesus died for the world, but guess what? Unless you and I make an individual choice to believe in Jesus, his death will be of no benefit to us. He died for the world, but we, each one, must make a choice. And here Paul says, "I Jesus died for the world, but I have to be willing to die to self. There it is. Die to self. I die daily, he says in another place. So, Jesus died for the world. I'm willing to die, but there's a third thing that comes out in this verse. He says, Okay, what's the next thing? I live by faith. Ah, So, Christ died for the world. I die, and now, what's the next step? I live. I live by faith in the Son of God. Go back with me now to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the one we were just in. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. We were there a few moments ago. Let's go right back there. A very well-known phrase, a well-known statement. Some of you might have learned this if you grew up and then memorized Scripture. Therefore, what does it say? If anyone is in Christ, he is what? New creature or a new creation? Old things have passed away. Behold, what? What? All things, notice the language there, the big A-L-L, not most things, okay? All things are, have become new. Aha! Uh-huh. That's that new life in Christ. Step one, Jesus died for the world, right? Step two, you and I must be willing to die to self, being crucified with Christ symbolically. Step three, we live now by faith. We are new creatures. Let's go to Ephesians, because that's where Paul says it. In other words, in beautiful language, which sometimes people have only looked at the first two verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, but we must look at the whole passage there in context. Ephesians chapter 2, I want to show you again the balance here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. well-known passage often used to emphasize one aspect of the Christian life. You've heard this phrase. What does Paul say? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's the first thing. By grace you have been saved. And that is sometimes emphasized, and we stop at verse 9. By grace you've been saved. But hold on. Paul doesn't stop there. If if you look, notice what he says now. For we are his what? Workmanship. Wait a minute. He says, by grace you've been saved, not of works. But he said, hold on, hold on. Don't stop there. We are his workmanship created. Remember when we said we are new creatures, right? Right. In Christ. Created in Jesus Christ for what? Purpose. For good works, which God prepared beforehand for those who uh, that we should walk in them. Very, very interesting. If there's one thing you can take away from a, a core concept, as I share with you this evening, we must never pit one truth of Scripture against another. Paul says we have been saved by what? Grace. Remember that. So write that in saved by grace, but then he says, we must grow by God leading us. Saved by grace and then grow by faith. Grace and growth must go together. Sometimes we, we separate them. We say, oh, only grace, it's not of works. And we forget verse 10 that says, we must now, we are created for good works. Grace plus growth. Or as some might put it, faith, Right? Plus fruits. Aha. They go together. Faith plus fruit. Remember James says, what good is your faith if it, if you don't see any works? Right? Or another way, we are saved in order to serve. Very clear. Scripture is unequivocal. We must never put these two against each other. Another example, we are, we are in a right relationship with our Redeemer. Saved by grace, forgiven, and then we make this covenant commitment to the Creator. These two things must be always put in balance. But the big question is, how then should we grow? That's an important question we have to ask. If we've been saved by grace, here's the question, how would we then grow? What's the, How do we actually put into practice? Which is why I have the title for my message, Living it up for the Lord. How do we live it up for the Lord? What do we do? And so here this evening, I'd like to make a few comparisons. We're here in a huge medical institution. So let me test my medical students and others here. What? Question number one. What is the most important thing? I'm going to make a contrast, a comparison here. I'm going to compare the physical and the spiritual. What is the most essential thing for physical life? Did I hear somebody say food? I. Oxygen! Yes! We don't even think of oxygen because we do it so automatically, right? Oxygen! Write down the word air. If you want to think, there are three things I'm going to share with you tonight that are essential if you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to live it up for the Lord. So, step number one in the physical life air, air. Incidentally, how long can you live without oxygen? Mmm. When I used to do this uh, years ago in Korea, I actually had a huge clock here. And I asked people, okay, let's hold your breath. And they would start 15 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Inevitably, somebody would giggle and most people would burst out laughing. But there were always one or two young men Macho's who would last for a minute, a minute and 15, a minute and 30 seconds. I don't know of anybody who actually sat there and held it for two minutes. What is the world record set by Robert Frost some years ago, according to the Guinness Book of World Records? I believe it was like 12 minutes. He did hyperventilate, yes. He hyperventilated and then he went down to the bottom of a swimming pool and he stayed down there for quite a long time. But that record was beaten by a kid in Michigan. Yeah. What did he do? He fell into one of the frozen rivers where I live. (laughs) Ah, He went underwater. And you folk know what happens when you're under in freezing water. Everything slows down. The system slows down. They fished him out 30, 40, 5 minutes later. Took him out. Thawed him out. And no problems. Incredible. Incredible. So that's the new world record. I think it's 45 minutes. He didn't intend to set it. Now don't try that at home, okay? But the simple fact is you cannot live without air. Ah, For the Christian, what is the analogy? Air goes with what? Prayer. There it is. Very easy to remember. And the Bible says unequivocally, pray without what? That's right. Pray without ceasing. That's why you breathe in and out automatically. You don't even think about it. And you know that passage in, in what's it, 2 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, 17, is it? That says, pray without ceasing. Now, that was not the one I was going to refer to. I want you to go to uh, Ephesians. <clears throat> Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, verse 18. What is the key? Air and. What is that? Air and right air and prayer let's put those two together air and prayer i want to spend a few minutes on the vital necessity of prayer you want to grow as a christian you must spend time with the lord in prayer look at what how paul puts it and there are actually five things in this one verse five things praying always number one that's the same idea pray without ceasing right praying always so you want to put a few things there little a praying always the first thing Constantly, pray without ceasing. Then, with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Second thing, pray in the spirit. You know why this is important, folks? I remember a friend of mine whose um, son-in-law, young man, loved the Lord, was working fervently for God, and he contracted, in his 30s, I believe it was, cancer. And she prayed and prayed that the Lord would miraculously intervene, tried all kinds of things, and she prayed for God to save that young, fervent worker's life. And he passed away. It was very difficult for her. Why do I say we must pray in the Spirit? Because every time we pray, yes, we desire, we want people to be healthy and to be healed, right? But ultimately, we should always add those few words at the end, Thy will what? Be done. Pray in the spirit. Pray that God's will will be done. I don't know. You don't know what is the best. Isn't that true? Okay. So pray in the spirit that this will be for the best for God's glory. Number three that comes out of this text, little C. It says being watchful to this end. Watchful. Alert. Okay. Be watchful. Be alert in this. Uh, be uh, vigilant in other words be watchful to this end and with all perseverance ah uh, keep on praying i remember hearing of an of somebody who prayed for what, 20 30 years never gave up kept on praying kept on praying and eventually there was change perseverance keep on praying and finally and supplication for all the Saints pray for other people intercede pray for others don't just pray for yourself pray for people pray that God will bless them oh, it's incredible you know maybe I should share the story <laughs> sometimes you know it's interesting how how things happen in our lives I was uh, actually uh, <clears throat> Years ago, about a decade or more ago, I remember I was attending a training seminar, uh, how to walk. Uh, as some of you know, I, I learned how to do some race walking. And there I was with, with about 10 or so people, maybe eight to a dozen people. And uh, one of the first things I noticed, we were there for half a day, that was all. going to cost $50 for four hours of training with an Olympic coach. Kind of costly, but he said, I want to learn how to do this properly. But within a few minutes, As I listened, there was one, I was going to say lady, but that's the wrong word. There was one woman there. Why do I say lady was the wrong word? Every second or third word I heard that came out of our mouth was a filthy word. She, as they say, swore like a sailor, cussing just constantly. And I thought, oh no, I paid 50 bucks for four hours and I have to listen to this all day. Oh, and then I heard the coach saying "Ooh, she's got a filthy mouth and i thought oh i'm not the only one who's concerned about it and then i remembered i had just been reading that very weekend a book by a man by the name of roger morneau more incredible answers to prayer and i had been reading how morneau prayed for people and how god somehow i don't understand it still i don't did something in their lives so i said lord lord please i'm gonna be here for four hours But not just for my sake, for all of us. Even the coach is having a hard time with this filthy mouth woman. Please, Lord, stop her cursing. Amen. The moment I stopped praying, she stopped cursing. I thought, wait a minute. Huh? Did I hear correctly? And I listened, and she kept talking. She was one of those sanguine people. But no more filthy language. And I was shocked. I thought, whoa! And then I was shocked that I was shocked. (laughs) Had I not just prayed an unselfish prayer, I interceded, I said, Lord, clean up her mouth, and for the rest of the three and a half hours, it was wonderful. We could listen to the coach without the cussing. Yes! That is what we need to do. Pray for everyone. I'm not sure if she was a saint, but she became one that morning. Unbelievable, but it's true. Let's look at the example of Jesus. I love to go to the example of Jesus. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Luke 5, verse 16. Here, we always must go back to Jesus' example. He is our model for morality. He is our example for ethics. He is always the one we must look at, both in his lifestyle and in his teaching. Luke chapter 5 verse 16. I'm gonna look at a few verses quickly on this concept of air and prayer. Luke chapter 5 verse 16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Okay, Jesus went into the wilderness and prayed. Luke chapter 6 verse 12. Go to another verse. Just a chapter later on. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God wow why would jesus spend the whole night in prayer the very next verse tells you the reason there were times that jesus knew he needed to spend a lot more time with his father because the next verse at say he then went and selected the 12 who would become his disciples he needed special time sometimes you know what i'm talking about when there are serious decisions to be made serious crises in your life you spend a lot more time on your knees okay and so jesus spent the whole night in prayer go to luke chapter 9 verse 28 these are just a few examples just from the book of luke that you can find more in the book of luke i'm just pointing out a few of them to show you that jesus was a man of prayer Alright? right jesus spent time in with his with his father chapter 9 verse 28 now it came to pass about eight days after those these sayings, that he jesus took peter john and james and went up on the mountain to pray jesus was a man of prayer and there's much more that talks about him praying there but not only did jesus pray go to chapter eighteen of luke verse one luke eighteen verse one just a few quick examples from the life of jesus luke eighteen verse one says then he jesus spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not what lose heart pray without ceasing there it is not just Paul but Jesus says the same thing pray without ceasing that's like breathing that's the same idea always praying so the first concept if you want to grow in the physical area is what air in the spiritual area is what put those two together and they are what air and prayer now here's my question what is the second most important thing for physical life water yes you're right you cannot last without water for uh, generally a week liquid sometimes longer uh, longest we know of is close to three weeks okay You cannot last without water, but I'd like to put these two together and I want to use the word nutrition because somebody will say, I didn't eat any, I I had no water for for a month when I was on a fast. What were you eating? Oh, watermelon. Watermelon. You get what I'm trying to say? Okay. You can get a lot of liquid. (laughs) So when I use, I want to use the word nutrition is the general idea. And so I would like to use a short word, feed, F-E-E-D. In the physical area, you must take in nutrition You must feed. You can be in the hospital and you might not take in any water, but they will have a little drip going in here, right? They will be providing your nutrition artificially, as you might call it. Feed. What do you think that goes with when you come to the spiritual area? Bible study. That's right. And I use the word feed and read. You got it. That's right. Feed and read okay let's go back what's the first thing for spiritual growth what is it prayer Prayer. so we put the two together and we say air and prayer and in the second one is read so we put them together and we say feed and read you've got to spend time in the word let's go to an example from scripture acts chapter 17 verse 11 one of the best examples we have because these people knew it and did it right Daily feeding on the word. Acts chapter 17 verse 11. We don't want to minimize the importance of coming together in fellowship, listening to messages from God's word. Yes, in fact, that's what they were doing. These were the people in that town called Berea. That's where the story takes place. And it says these, the Bereans, were more noble or more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. In that, why were they more fair-minded? In that, they received the word with all readiness. They first listened. Yes, that's exciting. But they didn't just accept it. What did they do? And search the scriptures. What does it say? Daily. There it is. (laughs) Search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Quick question to you. How many of you eat only once a week? No hands going up here. Okay. Mm. But now I'm going to ask the next one and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because the an- The question is, how many of us only really eat spiritually once a week? You get my point? Very important. If you eat, do you eat daily at least once a day? Let me see the hands of those who eat at least once a day. Don't be afraid. Wow, that looks pretty good. <laughs> yes, I expect that everybody. How often should you read the Word? daily you want to grow spiritually you grow physically you eat every day you want to grow spiritually you eat every day very very important feed and what read feed and read let's go to the example of jesus always to look at jesus example matthew chapter 4 verse 4 matthew 4 verse 4 as we study the word one of the most important things we need to always do is say what is jesus example for us what does he teach? Now, I know and I've already told you, the whole Bible testifies of Jesus. I don't minimize that. Everything points to him. But when he was on this earth, we want to look at how he lived while he was here. What does he himself say during that 33 or so years, 30 to 35 years of his own life? Notice Matthew 4, verse 4. He answered and said, It is written... He's quoting the Bible. Man shall not live by bread alone. Physical food, remember? Feed, alright, there it is. You don't live just on feeding. But by every word that proceeds, where? From the mouth of God. Feed, yes, and what? Read. There it is. Jesus says, if you want to live, you don't just live from food, but you have got to go to the Bible. Feed and read. I want to give you one short phrase that I would like you to get the concept for here. And it is, grow in the Lord by the light of His Word. Grow in the Lord. Can you jump ahead to that for us? You don't have that one? Grow in the Lord by the light of His Word. Okay, maybe you can just say it with me. Grow in the Lord by the light of His Word. Again, grow in the Lord by the light of His Word. I want to be very practical because I know folks, we are bombarded in this contemporary society. Wherever we go, we are bombarded with temptation. It's unbelievable. If you think back, well, maybe some of you aren't old enough to think back 30 years, okay? Go back 10 years, even. Life was, in that sense, much more simple. Everywhere you go now, you are attacked by salacious advertisements, seductive commercials, everywhere, everything, as they say in two simple words, sex sells. I remember some time ago, quick example, maybe it was 10 years ago, there was a, a, a movie on television called The Mission, and I recorded it. It was an interesting story. It was actually a very positive story in its overall theme. But you know what's interesting? There was a commercial on television that came on. Now, I didn't notice that when it was first recorded. But later on, as I watched the recording, I stopped it and I went back and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, what am I seeing here? And there was an ad of the well-known singer called Cher. And it was an ad promoting... Some kind of, I think it was sugar or one of these um, sugar substitutes. And she starts, as I looked at that ad, she talks about it, and she is dressed. The next, then then of course they focus on what they're trying to sell. Then they move to slide number two, they focus back on her. And I said, wait a minute, she had this, these straps on. Picture number two, the straps will move to the shoulder on the edge. And then back to the picture of what they're advertising, and picture number three, it was down here now. Those straps moved step one, step two. I said, these guys are subtle. What are they trying to get across to you? She is busy taking off her dress. Incredible. In the middle of a reasonably good, clean movie was this commercial, and the only time I caught it was when I watched that commercial over and over. I said, this is incredible. Subtle, fast. You don't see it clearly. They are try, trying to get through to your mind. Be very careful. Let's go to, as an example of the soul, what does Jesus say? Oh, be careful. Matthew chapter 5. We're talking in a practical sense here. We're saying you've got to go back to the Word. The Bible is important. And women will be very practical. Jesus says, feed on the Word. And now Jesus said, but let's be practical in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 verse 27. Because we are so surrounded by these seductive dangerous salacious commercials and ads matthew 5 verse 27 you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not commit adultery verse 28 but i say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her and by the way it goes the other way too ladies has already committed adultery with her where in his heart Wow. Jesus goes to the heart of the matter and says it is not simply the act. Now what to do? What to do? Because we have all these temptations around you. Notice now, Jesus is going to be very practical. Verse 29. Here it is, folks. If your right eye causes you to sin. So he says, look, be careful. Watch for the cause. (laughs) Watch for where, identify the triggers. That's the key. I'm going to stop right there. We're going to go a little further in a minute. Identify the triggers. Have you ever noticed there are certain things that catch your attention? Okay? That's what we're talking about here. Look for those triggers. If you're sitting at work and your chair is facing a young lady who keeps walking in front of you, okay, who is attracting your attention in the wrong way, turn your chair the other way. Do something practical. Look at what it is. And realize what the triggers are. If there are certain programs you might be watching on television, ask yourself, is this tempting me to sin in the mind? Switch channels. Turn it off. Get away from it. Look for the, th- realize what it is that is causing these problems. Look for the triggers. Be very careful. Put positive things to replace that. If you're married, put a picture of your wife in front of your in front of your desk. Constant reminder, okay? Keep those things there. Watch out for certain things. You know, I know, what are the things that attract me. They're different for everybody. Okay? So, identify the triggers. But it doesn't stop there. If your right eye causes you to sin, that's it. Watch out for those things. Pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Wow! Strong words. Jesus says, be careful, folks. If you want to grow, you've got to take action. Take action. Let me give you a practical illustration. His name was Aaron Ralston. Anybody heard of Aaron Ralston? You might not remember the name, but... Two or three years ago, Aaron was, he went for a hike in Utah, Blue John Canyon, and as he was hiking alone, unfortunately he had told nobody, he was hiking alone, he was clambering over a huge boulder, canyoneering they call it, and as he clambered over, that boulder came loose, and he was falling backwards, and he tried to protect himself, and as he fell Of course, it became narrower and narrower, and that huge 800-pound boulder pinned his right arm to the wall. And there he was stuck. And he reflected on it. What do I do now? No one knew where he was. Day one went by. Almost no food, no water. Very little water, very little food. It's a gruesome story. I'm going to spare you the details. If you want to read it, he published it, in a book and my wife bought it for me because she knows I, I love a bit of adventure and maybe she knew I needed to read this so I wouldn't do something crazy like he did and so he eventually wrote his book and here's the cover between a rock and a hard place he wrote the story because he survived. But he realized by the time he got to day four or five, he knew he was in trouble. He didn't even have clothes to keep himself warm. He froze at night. He did all kinds of things to just keep alert. He had a video camera with him and he was recording his final messages to his family because he had tried everything. He had all kinds of things he tried with pulleys to try to dislodge the rock because he was an engineer. He had a knife with him. He tried to chip away at the rock to try to get his hand free. And one day as he was dusting the... He could get to his other hand, somehow he could feel there, and one day he touched the finger with the the blade of the knife, and it popped. And you know what that meant? His hand had begun to die. And he realized he had lost his hand, and if he didn't do something drastic, he was going to die. Suddenly he realized there was only one way out, because he had tried to work on his hand. His knife was too blunt. He decided the only way to get loose was to break his arm. And that's what, exactly what he did. And unfortunately, there are two bones. He had to break both of them. He broke both. He cut the flesh, left the nerve ending to last. He had enough sense. And he says the most painful thing was severing that nerve. And he cut it off. He cut his own arm off. Bandaged it up. And walked about six miles out, rappelling down a sixty-foot cliff with one arm. But Aaron survived to tell the story only because he was willing to cut his arm off. That's what sin is like, folks. Did you hear that? If Aaron had said, "Hey, I'm a mountaineer," and by the way, he was a mountaineer, he had soloed, he had climbed those fourteen thousand uh, the peaks in um, <clears throat> out there in Colorado. There are fifty-nine. 14 uh, peaks, 14,000 or more. He had soloed, oh, uh, climbed those alone in the winter, many of them. And here he was now having to cut his arm off. He said, no, I'm going to save my arm. What would have happened? He would have died. That's what sin is like. You have to take serious action. And that's what Jesus says. Cut it off. If you don't cut it off, you're dead. Incredible story. He survived to tell it. He has a sense of humor. He ended up saying, you know, now he went and did a race. He's recovered now. He ran a race later on, and he actually ran it faster than before. And in his book, he says, you know what? I'm thinking of cutting my other arm off. (laughs) But, of course, he's just joking. But the point is, the point is, folks, sin, you must take drastic action. Cut it off, or you will die. Let's go to Psalm 119, verse 11. Because here is the key. Talking about sin. You want to overcome? You want to grow? Psalm 119, verse 11. You want to grow? Feed and read. What does the Bible say? Your word have I hidden in my heart. That I might not, what? Sin against you. Your word have I hidden in my heart. That I might not sin against you. Wow. Your word. That's what he says. I will not sin if I hide your word in my heart. Now, before we go to number three, the third essential. That's the last one. Let's just review quickly. What's the most important in physical life? And spiritual? Okay, second, physical? Third, and, 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 spiritual? Right. Now we, before we go to the third one, I know there is a debate, and I want to share a little bit about what is more important. Is it nature? Is it nurture? But, but you know, we struggle. I'm born this way, people say. I, I don't have a choice. You've heard those arguments, okay? I, 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 I'm, I have these predispositions, and there is a Harvard trained, a, Harvard, a neuropsychiatrist from Harvard University, John Raythe, John J. Ratey, who wrote a book called A User's Guide to the Brain. I went to your library right here, I typed it in, and I was able to print out several pages from the online copy. Listen to this, folks. This is incredible. 2002, this book was published. Listen to what he says. Which force plays a stronger developmental role, genes or environment? The debate over nature or nurture has raged for 2,000 years. At opposite extremes are euthanists, who cite bad parenting and the evils of society as the cause of all mental problems, and the proponents of eugenics, who blame faulty genes for all of society's ills and, and want to prevent all bad people, in quotes, from reproducing. And then he says, in reality, there is no debate most of who we are is a result of the interaction of our genes and our experience in some cases the genes are more important while in others the environment is more crucial and then he goes further and he talks about the two different things genes and environments he looks at the issue of twinning because there's been a lot of argumentation saying oh but look at twins it's clearly it's genetic there's obviously it must be because the twins the twinning effect they are the same well, there is a study that, studies that show that, but listen to the rest. There's an, there are other studies that twins who are separated at birth, one twin ends up as a schizophrenic adult and the other does not. Hmm, what do you do with that? How is this possible if they have the same genes? His answer, environment may be the answer. Now, I'm going to read you one, most of one paragraph. Listen carefully. I'm reading word for word from this neuropsychiatrist from Harvard University. The point to remember is that the issue is not nature versus nurture. It's a, it is the balance between nature and nurture. Listen to the next sentence. Genes do not make a man gay. Did you hear what this neuropsychiatrist says? Listen to this. Genes do not make a man gay, or violent, or fat, or a leader. Genes merely make proteins. Listen more, you guys should, you know this. The chemical effect of these proteins may make the man's brain and body more receptive to certain environmental influences. But the extent of those influences will have as much to do with the outcome as the genes themselves. Furthermore, furthermore, by the way, he sounds almost like he's quoting scripture. Listen to this. We humans are not Prisoners of our genes or our environment. Next sentence. Four words. We have free will. Yes. Exciting. Now he's not done yet. Let me hear one more sentence. Genes are overruled. Every time an angry man restrains his temper, a fat man diets, an alcoholic refuses to take a drink. Wow, it sounds, it sounds like he's quoting scripture. By the grace of God, I am who I am, I will overcome. Fascinating. If you have a chance, go and check the book. The, the book isn't in the library, but you can find it on the Library of Congress website. A user's guide to the brain. Incredible. Dr. John Rady is right, folks. We have free choice. We might have predispositions but by God's grace we can grow we can change if we are willing let's go to number three what is the third and final vital ingredient for physical life number one was air number two nutrition as in feed what do you think is number three exercise Exercise, activity I prefer the word fitness and you'll see exactly why right now because fitness in the physical area goes with what witness you've got it right there it is Three essentials for growing in the Lord. All right. Let's review them quickly. What is number one? The two together is what? Air and? Number two? And? And number three? And witness. That's right. Air and prayer. Feed and read. Fitness and witness. A quick example. Let's go to the life of Jesus. Mark chapter 5 verse 19. As we wrap up here. Fitness and witness. Very important. Jesus challenges a young man who was just reclaimed, redeemed, ransomed Okay, changed from following Satan now to following the Lord. And he wants to stay with Jesus. He wants to cling to Him. And what does Jesus say? Jesus immediately sends about and says, Go and do something. You've got to exercise, man. You've got to get out there and share your witness. Verse 19, Mark chapter 5, verse 19. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had what? compassion on you that's right you've got to go out and share if you don't if you don't exercise what will happen folks in fact there was a study done some years ago i got to share this with you very briefly physical therapists went to a a a nursing home where there were people in different age uh, in different ages they chose octogenarians they chose octogenarians who were chair-bound if you please People who couldn't walk, they said, they, 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 they're getting old, that's why. Physical therapists then said, you want to come and work with us on a program? We will work with you. I think it was 8 to 12 weeks. They worked with them, exercised them. At the end of that time, every one of those oxygenarians were up and walking without AIDS. Guess what it was? It wasn't old age. It was lack of exercise, lack of activity. Simple thing. If you don't use it, you What? You lose it. Let's go back to Dr. John Rady, Rady, this neuropsychiatrist. Here he says in this book, in this section, listen to this last statement I want to read to you quickly here. The human brain's amazing plasticity enables it to continually rewire and learn, not just through academic study, but through experience, thought, action, and emotion. As with our muscles, we can strengthen our neural pathways with brain exercise, or we can let them wither. The principle is the same. And here are the five words he says. Use it or lose it. That's right. He's absolutely right. Dr. Rady is incredibly correct. Use it or lose it. Simple three ways you want to grow in the Lord. Do these things. Number one, say air and prayer. prayer. Number two, feed and read. Number three, fitness and witness. Christ calls upon us to do that. Matthew 28 verse 19, we've used the text before, go ye therefore and teach all nations. But you know what folks, we've gotta be patient with each other. Sometimes, you know, and I'm exaggerating, you know, you find a little kid, a baby is growing up, and some excited parents want to teach their kid to walk before the child is ready. Not good. Get up, walk, come to papa, and you know, so that you can boast, my son started walking when he was three months old. <laughs> You got what I'm saying? Danger of pride coming in. Be patient, folks. Let's be patient with each other. Okay? We encourage one another. Don't get on each other's case. My best buddy, met him in 1968, and I remember probably 20, 35 years ago, I saw him here walking with this T-shirt that had just a few letters on. P-B-P. Okay? P B P There's the most important letter at the beginning here and at the end. G I N F W M Y. Okay. I said to him, Cliff, what is that? P B P G I N F-W-M-Y. He looked at me and said, Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. <laughs> now please, I'm not suggesting we should use this as an excuse for our choices, our bad choices. The point I'm trying to stress, folks, let's be patient with one another. Let's encourage each other to grow Okay? Don't try to make the three-month-old baby walk when it's not ready. But we are all called upon to grow in the Lord. To reveal these fruits of the Spirit, as it's called. And they are fruits. They will come naturally. We must just encourage each other. Plant the seed. Water the plant. And what will happen? The plant will grow. Grow, but be patient with one another. You must grow. If you want to live You will not be able to live as a Christian unless you take time to grow. And I want to repeat those three things. Air and prayer. Feed and read. Fitness and witness. I really want to challenge you. Too many times I find Christians who struggle in their faith and it's because they do not take time to grow in the Lord. Spend time growing and you will find The battles with the devil will be so much easier. Now, I'm not saying, hey, you won't have battles. Did you hear that? Okay, don't misunderstand me. But you will have the battles. But because you're walking in the Lord, because you can withstand the devil's temptation, the battles will be easier. They've already been won by the Lord. We now have to win them through His power and through His glory. Let's be patient with one another. Let's grow in the Lord. I have a question for you this evening because I'd like to pray for you. Who of you who have already given your life to the Lord, would like to say, Pastor, I'd like you to pray for me that I will grow in the Lord, that I can live it up for the Lord and not cling to the cancer of sin, but be willing like Aaron Ralston to even cut off my own arm so that I can live for the Lord. Any hands that want to be raised, your desire to grow, keep them up. Lord, you see the hands raised here. Take every hand Take every heart. Help us to be faithful to you. Thank you for your grace for saving us. Now, Lord, we pray that your grace will help us to grow in the word. In the love of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. May God bless you. We may Let's sing a song, a beautiful song, at the end here to close because it talks about us giving our lives to Jesus Christ. I believe we have it for us here. Do we? It should be there. Live out thy life within me, O Jesus, King of kings. Let's stand together and sing this as a dedicatory hymn, sharing with the Lord our desire to live for Him.